All right, good evening, everyone. Let us, let us begin. I want to begin by, by thanking our sponsors for tonight's shir, to thank Robin Schaefer for dedicating the shir tonight with gratitude to the entire Kihila for her year of spiritual growth as her Avelos winds down. Looking forward, Emirat Hashem, to continued growth in the coming year. Thank Robin. Robin always sponsors every shear that happens. So thank you so much for your continued generosity and sponsorship. To thank Howie and Batsheva Friedman for their sponsorship of tonight's shear. And to thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Tishrei, Shandy and Avram Kelman, for dedicating all the shiurim this month in memory of their beloved parents. Jack Bennett for dedicating all the shiurim this month in memory of Givati Brigade First Sergeant Nikolai Rappaport. And Dr. Linda Weinberg for dedicating all the shiurim this month in loving memory of her husband of 53 years, Dr. Paul Weinberg Peretz, Moshe Ben Avram David. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, all of the Neshamas will have an Aliyah and their families in Nechama in the year to come. Um, just a few other thank yous. I want to thank our Executive Director, Mrs. Shani Tapper, for always doing such a wonderful, wonderful job and coordinating all of the marketing and setting up everything. And uh, this is kind of a hectic season, forget about for rabbis, but for executive directors. It's uh, quite challenging. And so Shani, on behalf of the entire Kihila, thank you. I also want to thank our office manager, Mrs. Michal Weisberg. And uh, as much as the, uh, as, as, as much as the Hassan and Kala were hoping to be somewhere else now, I'm not going to say that we're not happy that you're here, Baruch Hashem. Wherever, wherever your married journeys are supposed to take in, you should get there, but we're certainly happy to have you here for as long as we can. Um, I also want to thank, it's very special, I want to thank Mrs. Esther Resnick. Esther is uh, signing the shir tonight, and Esther has been signing our shiurim, I think, now for a while. And it's incredibly special, because what Esther is able to do is bring the beautiful Torah of Archehila to the entire deaf community. And tonight, I think this is a first Tonight, actually, uh, you, you can watch it online afterwards. Esther's um, signing is actually on the bottom square in the actual video. So now that Baruch Hashem, you know that when people want to, you know, the beautiful part of Torah should be accessible to every Jew wherever they are. And a very special thank you to Esther and a welcome to our brothers and sisters in the deaf community who are joining us on YouTube and on Zoom tonight. It's incredibly special to allow our Torah to be part of all of Klal Yisrael. The Torah should always be the great Koach HaMa'achid. It should always be the glue that brings our people together. So tonight, I'd like to focus a little bit of time on an interesting topic. In fact, you know, the, the problem is that uh, Shani Tapper is very organized. So she asks me for titles of Shi'urim like three months in advance. I'm preparing for Kinnis and she's asking me about what are we doing for Yamim Noraim. So often what that requires me to do is make something up, right? And then, okay, this is what we'll do. And of course, inevitably what always happens is I end up choosing something different because Shi'urim kind of are based on what you're feeling and how you're feeling and what's happening in the world around you. So... I had a little bit of a shift in tonight's topic, and I wanted to share with you something that I found personally very striking, and I hope that you will as well. We're going to begin tonight's journey in Meretz Hashem with an incredible Mishnah in Meseches Yuma. To give you a little bit of background, the Avoda on Yom Kippur was incredibly unique. The general sacrificial service on Yom Kippur was unique. Because throughout the rest of the year, when you came to the Beis HaMikdash, so we knew that we know that Kohanim, Korbanic service, ritual service has to be done through Kohanim. Non-Kohanim cannot work in the Beis HaMikdash. 
What was unique about Yom Kippur and more unique than any other day throughout the entire year was the idea that the avoda, the sacrificial service, could only be done by the Kohen Gadol. So this was a dramatic thing. Because remember, again, there were 24, we'll call it, shifts of Kohanim. So each Kohen only got to work in the Beis HaMikdash approximately two weeks a year. And even those two weeks that your shift was on call, you didn't work the entire time. Because each, each Mishmar, each shift, was made up of multiple Bate Avos, multiple families. So every Kohen really got very little time in the Beis HaMikdash. So the notion that on Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year, all of the avod, everything done in the Mikdash, when I say everything, everything literally means everything, could only be done by the Kohen Gadol. A regular Kohen could not do anything. This was obviously an incredible laborious day for the Kohen Gadol, meaning from morning to evening, he was working. Multiple immersions in the mikvah, multiple changes of clothing, everything had to be done by the Kohen Gadol. And perhaps one of the most unique services of the day was the avodah of the ketores, the burning of the incense. Because we know again that the Mishnah tells us that the incense was burned inside of the Kodesh HaKadoshim, inside of the Holy of Holies. It was the one time of year that any human being walked into the Holy of Holies, the Kodesh HaKadoshim, was on Yom Kippur. And even on Yom Kippur, you couldn't just go in. You were only able to go in for a very specific service of the ketores. So the Mishnah here is describing the ketores service. That's not going to be our topic. But suffice it to say, it was a fascinating service. The reason it was fascinating is because everything is choreographed, right? In general, by the way, just as an aside, it's fascinating to note that everything in the Beis HaMikdash is choreographed. There's no such thing as spontaneity in the Mikdash. Everything is choreographed. In fact, what happens if you decide to do something spontaneous in the Beis HaMikdash? It's pretty much the last time you do anything, right? Because that, that's, there's no spontaneity, which in and of itself is an incredible lesson, which is that in life, if you want to accomplish spiritually great things, you must have a plan. There is no such thing as living life successfully by the seat of your pants. There's no such thing as going with the flow. You can go with the flow. You can definitely do that. Many people do. And where do you end up? <laughs> Wherever the flow takes you is where you end up. But generally, it's not in a place of your decision. The idea that everything in the Mikdash was so carefully choreographed was there to teach us a dramatic life lesson. You want God in your life? You want Ruchnius? You want spiritual accomplishment? Devise a plan and a detailed plan. Life doesn't always follow that plan. That's fine. Sometimes you have to pivot, but you still have to start out with a plan. In any event, Kohen Gadol goes into the Beis HaMikdash, goes in, excuse me, into the Kodesh Kodesh, the Holy of Holies, and he goes holding Kitoras. So again, very quickly, this was a little bit of an acrobatic feat because what was happening over here is the Kohen Gadol had to take what's called a machta, a fire pan. In that fire pan were coals. He would hold the fire pan under one arm, and in two hands, he would have the incense cupped in his hands. You were unable to spill one little bit of incense. He would come into the Kodesh HaKadoshim, Holy of Holies, put the fire pan down on the two poles of the Ark, of the Aron, and then he would have to very carefully go ahead and empty the contents of his hands onto the coals in the Machta. It would fill the entire Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies, with smoke, and the Kohen Gadol was the only person, not only the only person in the Holy of Holies, but the only person in the Mikdash 
No one else was permitted to be inside the primary temple building when the Kohen Gadol was doing his avodah. Incredible. But that's not what I want to focus on. If you look at number one, look at the second line. The Mishnah now begins right after the period. Yatsa. So there's so much fascinating information that we're not going to get into. In the second temple, there were two curtains between what we call the Kodesh and the Kodesh HaKadoshim. The front part of the Beis HaMikdash and the Holy of Holies. The outer curtain was pinned up on the left side. So the coin would enter in through the left. He'd walk across the length of the curtains. The inner curtain was pinned up on the right side. And on the right side, he would enter in to the Holy of Holies. When coming out... He would walk out backwards. He would walk out backwards. And what did he do when he walked out? He would pray a short prayer. Now, could either mean in between the two curtains or it could mean outside of the curtains in the primary Beis HaMikdash building. So, so why, was it a, why was it a short prayer? It was only, I'm sorry, why was it a short prayer? Because he would not prolong the prayer. Why? So you have to understand something. No one else is in the base Hamikdash when the Kohen Gadol goes in. No one else is in the building. Which means that from the time he enters until the time he comes out, no one knows what? On a very simple, if he survived. Remember again, especially during the Second Temple era, where often the office of the high priest of the Kohen Gadol was sold to the highest bidder, Kohanim Gedolim often perished on Yom Kippur because they would enter into the Holy of Holies, they were not fit for that, and they never came back. In fact, during the Second Temple era, they devised the practice of tying a rope around the Kohen Gadol because in the event that he died in the Holy of Holies, no one could get the body. This way they could drag him out. So he would only go ahead and daven a very short prayer in order not to worry anyone. In order not to worry anyone. What's missing from the Mishnah? What's missing from number one? What did he pray? Right? Isn't this, what, what was the prayer? What was the prayer of the Kohen Gadol? By the way, I'll just point out, already in the Mishnah, there's an incredible lesson, which is what? what so it's interesting. It's Yom Kippur. He's the Kohen Gadol. I don't know. I would say, let him daven for as long as he wants. Right? So what do you see from here? Even when building your personal piety, you must be ever conscious of the feelings of the other. Too many times we think that the pursuit of ruchnius, the pursuit of religiosity, of piety, of relationship with God, is a license to trample on the feelings and dignity of the other. And there could be nothing further from the truth. If I build my personal piety on someone else's back, you know what HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to that? No, thank you. No, thank you. God is not interested in that. So the Kohen Gadol could have sat there davening the whole day. The problem is what? Everyone was sitting outside. Everybody was worried about what's going on over here. You can't sit in daven. You can't sit in daven when someone's waiting for you outside. Your own, per- and this is so incredibly important because sometimes we make this mistake where we think as long as I am engaged in the pursuit of a noble spiritual goal, how I make other people feel or the impact of my actions on someone else don't matter that much. And it's not true. Life is a balance. You have to build your relationship with Hashem at every moment, at every juncture, but you must be ever cognizant of the impact of your actions on other people's feelings, no matter what, no matter how holy, no matter how pious, no matter how intense your particular personal journey may be. But look at number two. 
So the Gemara is intrigued by this, because the Gemara says, So the Gemara says, what did he daven? Right? Isn't this the million dollar question? What was the Kohen Gadol davening for? So, Rova Barav Adavram Barav Adav, Tarvai Mishay Dirav Amri, second line, here's what he davened for. Number one, we're going to see all together there are four parts to the Kohen Gadol's prayer. There's actually more, but we'll start with four. Number one, did I underline this on your sheets? Good. Number one, it should be a rainy year. It should be a rainy year. There should be a lot of rain. It actually means it should be rainy and it should be humid. The Gemara says, like, like Baltimore, right? The Gemara says, why do you need both? We're not going to get into that. For our purposes tonight, it means it should be a rainy year. Okay. Number two, if you look, go to the next second, uh, second underlying line. Lo ye'adi avid shultan midabes Yehuda. Rulership, which sounds like it's referring to monarchy, should not leave the tribe of Yehuda. Remember again, we learned in Parshas Vayichi, when Yaakov Avinu gives the brachos to his children, he says, Lo yasser shevet mi Yehuda mechokek mi bein raglov ad ki yavo Monarchy belongs to the tribe of Yehuda. Rulership should not leave Yehuda. That's number two. Number three, The Jewish people should not have to rely on each other for financial support. Shouldn't have to rely on each other for financial support. And number four, God, please do not accept the prayers of the travelers. Prayers of the travelers. Now I'm going to ask you honestly, is this what you expected for the prayer of the Kohen Gadol Yom Kippur? No. Right? What's missing from here? What's missing? So, right, something about life, like Zacharino Lechayim, you know, something like that. Something regarding absolution from sin. Something about general forgiveness, right? Isn't that the theme of the day? Yom Kippur is a day of slicha vechapara. It's a day of forgiveness and atonement. And yet, there's absolutely no mention. There's absolutely no mention of any of the primary themes of Yom Kippur in the tefillah of the Kohen Gadol. Not only that, but when you look at some of these things, it sounds like there's strange things to daven for on Yom Kippur. Important, we'll discuss the importance, but why Yom Kippur? So it's just you have to understand something. You could tell a lot about a person by what they daven for. Right? There are some people that daven for new kitchens, and there are some people that daven for health, and there are some people that daven for shiduchin, and there are some people who daven to do well on a test, and there are some people, and again, by the way, all legitimate tfilos, all legitimate tfilos, but you could tell a lot about what's, a, what's the hierarchy of importance for a person for what they daven for. This was a choreographed prayer. This was not happenstance. It's not the pshat that the Kohen Gadol is standing there in between the two curtains. It's like, hey, what should I daven for? And these are the first four things that pop into his mind. He davened for these things because he understood that they were of primary importance for Klal Yisrael. So the Shiloh, we're gonna, what we're going to try to explore tonight is why did the Kohen Gadol daven for these things and what's the message for us? So let's go through them one by one. Prayer number one, let it be a rainy year teaches us something incredibly important. Rain represents what? Good. Don't, don't give me Torah or Chesed. Let's not be so from. Right? Rain represents? Parnasa. Rain represents Parnasa. 
Rain represents gashmios. It represents materialism. The first thing the Kohen Gadol davens for on Yom Kippur, for Klal Yisrael, is material blessing. Because the Kohen Gadol knows if there's no gashmios, there's no ruchnios. If you don't have your material needs met, you cannot be a spiritual person. And this is so incredibly important because, you know, when we say the word gashmius, like we're accustomed to thinking, you're supposed to be like, gashmius, gashmius, like it's something bad, right? Like it's a bad thing. Now, gashmius, overindulgence in the material world, making the material world the primary focus of your life is sinful, is absolutely sinful and a total abdication of personalistic responsibility. But at the end of the day, virtually all people need to have some degree of physical material comfort in order to be able to focus on their spirituality. And I think this is interesting because I think in contemporary society, especially in segments of our society, this lesson has been lost. There's like this thought that if you need Gashmias, there's something wrong with you. You shouldn't need Gashmias. You should just have Ruchnias. Now, are there people who don't need Gashmias and just need Ruchnias? Absolutely. Absolutely. There are some people like that. There are individuals, again, who do not need any of the comforts of this world in order to become spiritually connected people. But 99% of human beings are not like that. Most of us need some level of physical material security in order to be able to connect with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If I don't know if I can pay my bills, it's very hard to connect with the Ribbon HaSha'olam if I don't know how the mortgage is getting paid. And it's very difficult to work on my spiritual identity when I don't know that my physicality is safeguarded. So the first thing the Kohen Gadol davens for is Gashmios. Let there be rain. Because if there's rain, if there's parnosa, then Klaalisa will have the bandwidth to focus on other things. You know, you look at the beginning of Parashas B'chukosai, and the Torah says, In B'chukosai se'leichu, if you walk in my ways, mitzosai tishmari, keep my mitzos. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu outlines a whole series of material blessings. And the Arachayim HaKadosh says, I don't understand. We're talking about observing mitzvos. If you're talking about observing mitzvos, why is the reward something material? Observe them, observe the mitzvos, and you'll get sheep, and you'll get cattle, and you'll get wheat. Why, why is that the reward? The Arachayim says something amazing. It's not a reward. The reward for mitzvos is nothing material. What the Kaddish Baruch Hu is saying is, if you make proper spiritual decisions in life, I'll give you material security so you could continue to serve me. You see, in the worldview of the Jew, materialism, gashmius, is not an ends. That's where people make a mistake. It's not an ends. The goal is not to purchase. The goal is not to buy. The goal is not to own. The goal is to have a degree of security in life so that I could focus on my spiritual pursuits. So the first thing the Kohen Gadol says is let's take care of Kalal Yisrael's parnasa. Because if there's physical security, then ultimately, again, spiritual security could come afterwards. What's number two? Kohen Gadol goes on. He says, Let monarchy remain with Yehuda. So, of course, when we speak now, what's interesting is, okay, you could say maybe this is referring to the monarchy of Yehuda. Very interesting. So the monarchy of Yehuda, here's what's fascinating to note. Was there Jewish autonomy during the Second Temple era? 
For the most part, not. Right? You had a couple of hundred years after the Hanukkah story where the Chashmonoim had taken control, but even then it wasn't so simple because remember again, the Chashmonoim were Kohanim, they also became the kings. It was a whole discussion whether or not that was the right thing to do. There was a couple of hundred years, a few centuries of Jewish autonomy, but even that quickly disintegrated. So what is the Kohen Gadol davening over here when he speaks about let the monarchy not leave Yehuda? So perhaps what the Kohen Gadol is really davening for here is not the Yehuda monarchy. He's davening for Mashiach. He's davening for Mashiach. Let this be a year, not only where Mashiach comes, but where people remain messianically conscious. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean to remain messianically conscious? So the Ramam writes about this. Everyone, the Ramam says that one of the Yud Muna, one of the 13 principles of faith, is to believe in Mashiach and to go ahead and wait for him. Right? And actively wait with him every single day. I want to tell you, many, many, many disagree with that idea of the Rambam. <laughs> Say the Rambam, where'd you get that from? Right? Who says, okay, maybe there's an obligation to believe in Mashiach, who says there's an obligation to wait for him every day, to actively pine for him. Yet the Kohen Gadol says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, keep the Messianic dream alive. Now, what does the Messianic dream have to do with Yom Kippur? Let me ask you this. What's going to happen when Mashiach comes? What's going to happen? Right? No Yom Kippur was a good try. There's going to be a Yom Kippur. Right? There'll always be a Yom Kippur. Baruch Hashem, we want Yom Kippur. That's the one day. I don't want a Tisha B'Av, but I definitely always want a Yom Kippur. What's going to happen when Mashiach comes? Correct answer. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen when Mashiach comes. But there's one thing I do know for sure, which is what? The world is going to be different. How it's going to be different, what that difference is going to look like. Remember, again, if you... If you, if you if you think about the theology surrounding Mashiach, there is such a spectrum of opinions. There are opinions that hold Olam Kimin Hago Noeg. The world is going to function as it does right now. It's the same exact world. Just the except the difference will be everyone will believe in Akadish Baruchu and everyone will recognize the Jewish people's right to Eretz Yisrael. Those are not two small things. Those are pretty significant. And hopefully there'll also be vouchers for yeshiva education. Right? But, it's not, right? but otherwise, everything else goes ahead and remains the same. Versus you have another opinion that says, everything is going to be different. You're going to plant wheat and loaves of bread are going to come out of the ground. A totally supernatural world is going to spring up around us. What's the common denominator between all of those opinions? Common denominator? The world is going to change. That's what's going to happen. The world is going to change. Only my locus is what the extent of that change is. Dramatic change, nuanced change, observable change, theological change, physical change. But everyone agrees that the world is going to change. Do you know why we focus so much on the coming of Mashiach? People think it's just a Chabad thing. You know, Chabad didn't invent Mashiach, right? He was here before, right? The concept was before the Rebbe also. Why is there such a focus on Mashiach? Because the concept of Mashiach reminds us that change is possible. You see, if I believe in Mashiach, what that really means is, I believe that the world is going to change. And if I believe that the world is going to change, what if the whole world, if the entire universe, if mankind could change, what else could change? Me. Me. Do you know what the greatest obstacle to tshuva is? The greatest obstacle to tshuva is me. Like most things in life, I am my greatest 
obstacle. It's not that my mother didn't love me enough. She's probably watching. She loved me plenty. I just want to mention, right? It's not that my father didn't pay enough attention to me. He certainly did. Or that my teacher wasn't this. Or that my spouse isn't that. Or my kids don't do this. Or my friends aren't this. Enough. Enough, 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 enough. At the end of the day, the buck of my life stops with me. And if things don't happen, you're right, I can't control a whole variety of circumstances around me. I can't control how people treat me. I can't control how people behave towards me. I can't control how people talk to me. I can't control circumstances that happen to me. But I control me. No one is the balabas on me except me. I control me. And we sometimes forget that we have to stop making excuses and start taking ownership. If the world could change, when Mashiach comes, if the universe could change, I could change also. When the Kohen Gadol Davins do not let the scepter of rulership depart from the Shevet of Yehuda, what he's saying is do not let the Messianic dream leave the Jewish people. Not only because you want everyone to believe in Mashiach, because what Mashiach represents is the possibility of change. And the greatest power we possess is the power of change. That I can remake myself in one moment. You know, there's an incredible Gemara. The Gemara says that if a man goes over to a woman and he says, Marry me on the condition that I am an absolute righteous man. I think it's a great pickup line, just in general, right? right? Marry me on the condition that I'm an absolutely righteous man. What's the halacha the Gemara says? Mikudeshas. It is a valid kiddushin, a valid marriage. Afilu hu rasha gamar. Even if the guy is an absolute rasha. How could that be? If he's an absolute rasha, he's an absolute rasha. Why the Gemara says? Shemehir her b'tshuva. Because maybe he had thoughts of tshuva. Thoughts of tshuva? Fantastic. I have thoughts of tshuva every day, right? They come in, they go out, right? Then they come back, circle back, go out. Even thoughts of tshuva change you. If thoughts of tshuva change you, then imagine what dynamic life activity does as well. When the Kohen Gadol Davins do not let the people forget about Mashiach, what he says is do not let the people forget about the power and the possibility of change. Part three says the Gemara. Now this is very interesting. The Gemara says, do not let the Jewish people be dependent on one another. So of course, when you read the words, the words once again seem to be referring to financial dependence. You know, the Gemara, you know what the Gemara says about people who rely on gifts? or about gifts in general, the Gemara says, Sone matanos yichya. If you despise gifts, you live a long life. Now what's that? Good, good, Iris, nice to see you. Right? So, right, so, so what, right, what, what's the pshat? If you despise gifts, you live a long life. What, what, what does that mean? Because, again, everybody likes getting gifts. Who doesn't like getting a gift? What it means is being reliant on gifts. What Chazal were saying is the most important thing in life Stand on your own two feet. Do not be dependent on other people. Now, of course, are there times in our life where we have to be dependent on others? Of course. And are there times where we have to be reliant? Yes. And the hope is that just as we support others, others will support us. But at the end of the day, the goal in life is to be independent. The goal in life is to be self-sufficient. 
But this is not just true on a financial level. On a financial level, it's true also to have your own financial independence, to be able to make your own decisions, and to not have any strings, puppet strings attached that someone else is pulling. That's always the best way to live in life. But it's not just the din in finances. What the Kohen Gadol was also saying is let the people live independent lives. What does this mean? Too often in life, we outsource our success. Meaning what? You hear this all the time. You know what? I really was going to accomplish X. You know why it didn't happen? I'll tell you why. Rachel, she didn't come through the way she was supposed to. And Leah, you should have seen the way she spoke to me the other day. And Avram, I give out the way he behaves. And I have a whole list of people who did not do their part and therefore I did not accomplish. It's a cop-out. People never do their part. (laughs) I hate to say that. People rarely live up to expectations. Sometimes that's because we set expectations too high, or sometimes it's just because people are people and they just fail. That's the way it works. Don't outsource your success. Do not put the keys of your life happiness or life fulfillment in the hands of someone else. The buck of your life stops with you. You want to be happy. And this is true. And I have to tell you, this I think is probably one of the most important yesodos, foundational pillars of life. If you want to be happy, your husband's not going to make you happy. I mean, hopefully he'll make you happy. I'm saying since I die. But your husband's not responsible for your happiness. Your kids aren't responsible for your happiness. Your parents aren't responsible for your happiness. Your friends aren't responsible for your happiness. There is only one person in life who is responsible for your happiness, and that is you. And you make a decision every single day about the lens through which you want to see the world and the lens through which you want to see your circumstances. Your success or your failures in life are yours and yours alone. Again, do things happen around me that I cannot control? Every day. And sometimes those things that happen are quite dramatic and sometimes traumatic. But how I allow them to impact me, how I allow them to shape me, how I allow them to write my life narrative is up to me. That's my decision. Below you, Amcho Yisrael Tzrichin Lefarnei Zemizeh. Kohen Gadol says, don't let the people be financially reliant on one another. But it's not just financial reliance. To be honest, it's going to sound a little bit strong. Don't rely on anyone for anything. I know that sounds like a very strong statement. And I'm not like a bitter person. You can ask my wife and my daughter are both here. I don't think I'm a bitter person. Right? But at the end of the day, it's the best approach to life. Because the moment that other people become responsible for halakim in your life is the moment that you've outsourced your success to other people. You're now a dependent. You're now a dependent. You're now a reliant. You are now hinged. You're tethered to someone else. And the only way I could be happy and the only way I could accomplish is if someone else does their part. And that's the worst way to live. Because then I'm tole bedasachirim, as Chazal say, that I'm wholly and fully dependent on someone else. And who would ever want to stake their life happiness and fulfillment on someone else doing or not doing something? Says the Kohen Gadol, May Klal Yisrael find the strength to be independent people, to recognize they hold the reins of life. The keys are in their hands. You can't control what's swirling about around you, but what you do with it 
is absolutely holy and fully up to you. And lastly, the Gemara says, This is very beautiful. That the Gemara says, And do not let the prayers of the travelers. Kohen Gadol says, don't, let, don't listen to the prayers of the travelers. Which in general sounds interesting that the Kohen Gadol would be davening to Hashem not to listen to someone's prayers. So who are the travelers we're referring to over here? This refers to the pilgrims, to the Ole Regal, who are traveling home after Sukkis. So think about this in just a moment. Imagine you're traveling home with your family after Sukkis. You're leaving Yerushalayim, right? You're Ole Regal, you're leaving. You live in the Golan, you live up north, right? So what happens? You, you have all the drink boxes and all the snack bags and you've mapped out every bathroom between now and the north of Eretz Yisrael, right? So you're getting ready. If there's one thing you're davening for, it's what? No rain. No rain. There's only one problem. When does the rainy season start in Eretz Yisrael? Sukkis. The truth is it really starts on Sukkis. We just delay officially praying for rain until the end of the Yom Div because we don't want to be washed out to the midst of Sukkah. So the Kohen Gadol says, his last tefillah is a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Please do not listen to the prayers of the travelers. Because the travelers are going to dive into you not to bring the rain. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu, please do not listen to their prayers. And bring the rains right after Sukkis. A very dramatic tefillah. Two incredible lessons. First of all, that the needs of the collective outweigh the needs of the individuals. And this is incredibly important because... You know, society often teaches us that everyone is right. Everyone is right, right? Everyone has an opinion and every opinion is valid and everyone is right. It's not true. I mean, it's true. Everyone has an opinion. That's absolutely true. But not every opinion is correct and not every opinion works and not every opinion can be counted towards the collective decision-making of a community or of a people. It's just the way that it works. So it's true. There are some people who are inconvenienced by rain. Absolutely. And significantly inconvenienced. But Klal Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael needs the rain. And so if the few have to be inconvenienced for the needs and the benefit of the many, so be it. There's never any approach communally or Klal-wise that works for everyone. That's just the way it is in life. So the only way you can run a people, the only way you can run a community, the only way you can run a shul is you try to find what works for the majority and hope that the minority understands. The ability to cater to every whim and every opinion, it just doesn't work. It's just not, it would be wonderful if we could. If everyone, could bring rain for you when you need it and rain for me when I need it and you shouldn't get wet when you don't want to get wet and I'll stay dry when I want to stay dry. That'd be fantastic. Except the world doesn't work that way. But there's a deeper lesson as well, which is the incredible and profound power of prayer. You see, we do a lot of davening. And the problem sometimes with doing a lot of davening is like anything that you do very often, sometimes it loses it's oomph. You know that in yeshivas, they know what they call it when, let's say you have a lot of material to cover and not a lot of times you have to go through it quick. You know what they call it in yeshiva? Daven it up. <laughs> daven it up. That's the terminology that's used. When you just want to go through something really quickly, daven it up. Daven it up. Because sometimes that's what we do. We daven it up. We daven it up. And again, I want to point out, we daven frequently, and that's why part of tefillah is just establishing consistency, even if it's not always something meaningful. But do we recognize the power of prayer and the power 
of simple dialogical connection with the Ribbono Shal Olam. Do we recognize that ability not to daven from a siddur? You understand the purest davening is not davening you do from a siddur. That's not it's not davening you do from a machzer. It's davening you do from your heart. Those are the most beautiful feelings. You see, we live in such a different age. There's many wonderful young women here today, so they won't even, you know, today, everyone is so educated, Baruch Hashem. So like, you know, Rabbi said, if you ask a woman, why do you light Shabbos candles? So you ask any girl who went through Beis Yaakov and seminary, why do you light Shabbos candles? Ah, oh, Shalom Bayis, why two candles? One for Nebuchadnezzar, one for Shomer. You ask a woman, now I think you have to go back two generations. You ask a woman two generations ago, why do you light Shabbos candles? And the answer is... Because my mother did it. So you'll see who's on a higher level. Who's on a higher level? Well, knowledge is always powerful. But there is something so profoundly beautiful in what Rabbi Salavechi called the mimetic tradition. Why do I do it? Because my mother did it. Well, do you know why your mother did it? Did it? it doesn't matter. Truth is, it doesn't really matter why my mother did it. She did it because she saw her mother who saw her mother who saw her mother. Zachar, Shamar, Shalom, Bayis. None of that really ever came into the equation. It's just ultimately, again, what a Jewish woman does. And tefillah used to be this way as well. Why does a Jew daven? Why does a Jew daven? Because a Jew davens. How else are you supposed to talk to HaKadosh Baruch Hu? I remember that many years ago that uh, my family had given my, my grandmother, Zichron Levracha, a leather-bound sitter. And my grandmother was a very holy woman, a survivor of Auschwitz. And I remember she looked at the sitter. It was a very beautiful sitter. And she said to us, thank you so much for this beautiful gift. But she said, I just want to tell you, I don't daven from here. She pointed to the sitter. I daven from here. And that was one of the most striking and dramatic moments I'll ever remember. I don't daven from here. She davened from there all. She davened from the sitter also. Because where does tefillah come from? Tefillah doesn't come from a book. Tefillah doesn't come from pages. Tefillah comes from your heart. And we forget that sometimes the sitter and the machzer are only there to facilitate real, honest, open dialogue with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. A person could read the Siddur cover to cover, to read the Machser cover to cover, and remain totally and fully and wholly unmoved. Because that's not the goal. It's not a novel. It's not there to get covered with what's going to happen at the end. Right? You know what's going to happen. The same thing that's happened for the last 2,000 years. Nothing's changed. Right? It's the same story. It's the same tefillos. The goal is that that structure should spark spontaneous dialogue. What's the power of spontaneous dialogue? Well, apparently it's so powerful that the Queen Gadol, on Yom Kippur, in the Holy of Holies, has to tell the Ribbono Shalom, the Master of the Universe, please, that guy Chaim Yankel, when he's taking home his family after, after Yom Tiv, and he's dreading the car trip together with everybody, right? He could hear the whining already starting even before they pulled out. He's going to daven to you not to bring rain. Don't listen to him. Chaim Yankel, who's Chaim Yankel? You know, Chaim Yankel is Chaim Yankel is a guy who's going to daven to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for something that he really needs. For he's going to daven with all of his heart. And when a Jew davens with his or her full heart, there is no telling what they can accomplish. It doesn't mean you always get what you daven for. Because what we want is not always what we need. And what we want is not always what we should have. And what we think is good for us is very often not the right thing for us. But when a Jew davens with a complete heart, 
when a Jew davens with a sincere heart, those tfilos move the heavens. Those tfilos have the ability literally to control the rainfall. Those tfilos literally have a dramatic impact upon the entire world. So the Kohen Gadol in his tefillah, in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, teaches us four dramatic life lessons. And remember, like we said before, you can tell a lot about a person by what he's davening for. The Kohen Gadol is davening on behalf of Klal Yisrael, and he teaches us four dramatic life lessons that are here to shape our year to come. Number one, take care of your Gashmius. Make sure you are fiscally and materially responsible. Make sure that you have what you need. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't even have to be comfortable. Just make sure you're doing what you need to do in order to secure your material needs because it is only if your gashmios is in place then ultimately you stand a fighting chance of securing proper ruchnios. Number two, remember that change is possible. Keep believing in Mashiach. Mashiach represents change. And if the universe could change, and if humanity could change, then imagine what I could do as well. Number three, do not be dependent on another person. Do not be financially dependent, but more important than that, do not make your life success dependent on what someone else will or will not do. The reins of your life rest with you. The keys of your life success rest with you. Of course, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is up, but just that goes without saying. But at the end of the day, do not outsource your happiness. Do not outsource your success to anyone else. And number three, number four, sorry. Number four, remember the power of pure petitional dialogue. You know, tefillah is one of those things, you know, Rabbi Nachman says, that a person should spend at least an hour a day in his bodidus. Spodidus means just being alone with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and talking to God. Talking to God. I've often felt we would be in good shape if when we actually daven, we spoke to God. Forget about taking an actual hour, right? But Rabbi Nachman says there's a power of just talking to Hashem. Just talking to the Ribbon Hashem. That, that's, that's all. Not talking about Shachris or Mincha or Musaf. Just that, just talking, not a safer tale, just talking to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The power of tefillah we have, not necessarily to get what you want, but to become a better person, to become connected, to become holier. The power of dialogue that each of us possess. But I'll share with you something interesting. There are two more versions of the tefillah of the Kohen Gadol. The Rushalmi, Jerusalem Talmud, has a totally different version of the prayer. And in fact, if you look at number three, you'll notice over here, this is actually from Musaf on Yom Kippur. So you'll see this, this year, and you'll appreciate it even more. Right before, you know, there's a beautiful section in the Chazar, such the repetition of Marek Cohen. You know, different, different kahilos sing it to different tunes. But it's a very beautiful, responsive tefillah, where there's a description, and then Marek Cohen afterwards. Right before that section, the Machzer in Musaf, contains the tefillah of the Kohen Gadol. And if you notice, by the way, number three, I'm not going to go through all of it now, but if you notice in number three, this is the whole tefillah. Much longer than what we saw in number two. Right? In number two, the tefillah of the Kohen Gadol is four phrases. Four phrases. If you look at number three, it's much, much longer. Much longer. So you look at it on your own. I want to draw your attention to two pieces of this prolonged prayer. If you take a look, I underline them. The Kohen Gadol Davins, he says, Shana Shelotapil Isha 
as pre-bitna. Should be a year where no woman miscarries. No woman miscarries. Okay, and then he goes on, he says, look at the last part. He says, And for the people who lived in the Sharon, the Sharon area, he would say, For the people of the Sharon area, their homes should not become their graves. Very strange. Now the truth is, if you go through the rest of the tefillah, it's actually interesting. The rest of the tefillah actually really just expands on what the, on what the Bavli said. But those two lines, number one, a woman should not miscarry, and as well as that the people of Sharon, their home should not become their graves, that's not mentioned anywhere in the Bavli. So what is that? So let's work backwards. If you take a look at number four, the Gemara says, this is Yerushalmi, Jerusalem Talmud, speaks about the Anshe HaSharon. So apparently, the Sharon area was wetlands. Was wetlands. What happens when you build on wetlands? The structures sink. So in Sharon, it was known that you would have to rebuild your home usually twice every seven years. So the only people who were poor Used to, used to live there. And unfortunately, what would happen is sometimes the structures would collapse. And people, Rahman al-Sun, would be stuck in those structures and would perish in those structures. So on the Yerusham, this is the Kohen Gadol's davening, Hashem, it should be that the people of Sharon, their homes should not be their graves. Should not be their graves. But it's strange. Because if the Kohen Gadol is going to start davening to HaKadosh Baruch Hu to prevent calamities, there are, so, unfortunately, there are so many calamities. And there are so many difficult situations. Why is this one singled out? And the Sfarim Hasidic literature explains something so beautiful. You see, a bias is not only a home. Well, a bias is a home. But what does your home, right? What is a home? A home is a structure, right? And within that structure, all of your activities of daily living are there, right? Everything you need, so to speak, for your life is in that home. So in Hasidus, it's understood that a bias represents a misgeras hachayim, a framework for life. Shelo yehei bateyem kivreyem means, do not let your life framework become your grave. Meaning what? You know what the interesting part about a grave is? No one ever says, you know, I think I'd like to build out my grave a little bit. I think I'd like to put on an addition. I think, I mean, I like a little bit more room. It's getting a little bit too crowded, right? That never happens. The grave, it is what it is. The structure, it is what it is. The hole in the ground, it is what it is. It doesn't change. And sometimes people live that way as well. People create their bias. They create their home. They create their structure. This is who I am. You ever have a conversation with someone where you're trying to speak about something or maybe something they did and often the response is, well, this is who I am. As if this is who I am is a legitimate response to a critique or to something I've done wrong. There's no such thing as this is who I am. The true phrase is, this is who I choose to be. You have a short fuse, you have a temper. It's not this is who you are. You may have a natural proclivity or innate inclination to be that way, but you choose to perpetuate that. Shelo yehei batim, we all have batim. We all construct frameworks of life. But you know what the most important thing in life is? 
is to be ready to either expand your framework or sometimes demolish your framework. Because you know what we don't realize is that sometimes, sometimes the framework that worked for you earlier on in life does not work as you get older. I remember my wife and I sometimes reminisce when we first got married. I was still learning in Kolo and we lived in an apartment. It was horrible. It was horrible. Now, of course, we were blissful newlyweds. Everything was fantastic. It was beautiful. But like, I think back about that sometimes because I remember the first time our parents came to see it. And I could tell, my, my in-laws spoke their mind, but my parents, right? I could just tell on their face, they, they, they were like, my mother turned white. Like they, 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 just, they just could not believe it. And it's interesting because I think back to it, I'm like, wow, how did, how, it really was like it was objectively, it needed a refuah shalim, I'll say it like that, right? But here's what's amazing. It worked. It worked for then. It worked for then. Would, would it work for now? No, on a space level, it wouldn't work for now. On an accessory level, it wouldn't would it work. So we know that, right? People start out in an apartment, or you get a starter home, and then you go here, or then you go there. We know it in the world of physical real estate, but we forget that the same rule applies in the world of emotional real estate as well. And sometimes what we do is we build a personalistic construct. This is who I am. And sometimes I built it when I was 20. And it might have been good when I was 20. But more often than not, the person you built, the structure you built when you were 20, doesn't work when you were 30. And this construct you built when you were 40, doesn't work when you're 60. Every stage of life needs a different personalistic structure. And the greatest challenge we run into in life is when we allow our personalistic home to become our grave. We refuse to evolve. We refuse to change. We refuse to realize that what worked doesn't necessarily... You ever around people who always make the same jokes? The same jokes, right? And they laugh at it. And you're like, really? Really? You've been telling me this joke for 20 years. And it's like, there's, there's nothing new. You can't Google something new. You know I'm coming over. You can't get a little bit new material. Something. And to a certain degree, sometimes it's cute, but sometimes it just often like grates on you. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why? 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 why, why what, what, haven't we progressed at all? So that's annoying, but it doesn't really have an impact. But sometimes we do the same thing with ourselves. This is who I am. This is who I am. This is who I've been. For the last number of years, fantastic. Are you still living in your starter apartment? Right? You're still going ahead and living where, how you were when you were young, when you were a teenager, when you were single, when you were first married. Are you still living that way? No, of course. Everything evolves. Except me. Except me. My housing evolves. My gashmias evolves. But at the same time, I'm unwilling to revisit who and what I am. The Kohen Gadol Davins, he uses the Anshe Hashara as an example because their homes used to collapse. You know what happens when your home collapses? What happens when your home collapses? You have no choice but what? But to rebuild. You see, here's the interesting part about life. At some point in time, your house will collapse because it happens to everyone, not our physical homes, right? But it happens at some point in time, our personalistic structures collapse. It happens to everyone. Either it happens because of some type of dramatic life circumstance, or it happens because of some bad decision I made, or different decision that I made, or something else that comes up. 
the structures we build always come down. And so the question I think we often have to make is, do I want to wait to build the proper structure until life brings my structure down? Or do I want to be proactive and recognize I've outgrown this personality. I've outgrown this lifestyle. I've outgrown these behaviors. I've outgrown this outlook. I've outgrown this midah. I've outgrown this disposition. It's not good for me anymore. It's not healthy for me anymore. I, but this is who I am. No, this is who you choose to be. But if you want to remake your house, you have the ability to do so. Don't wait until your house becomes your grave. Don't wait until everything crumbles down and you have no choice but to rebuild. But be proactive. And I think all of us are in this dynamic. We settle into a personality. We settle into a certain set of midos. We settle into a certain outlook and hashkafas hachayim. And this is who I am. And I'm unmovable. I'm unshakable. I cannot see anything else. And there's nothing worse in life than being trapped in your personalistic house. There's nothing worse in life than being trapped in an identity that you probably outgrew many years ago, but are too afraid to admit it. Do not let your home become your grave. Do not limit yourself from becoming the person you are truly capable of becoming. And this loops back into laughing, but this will conclude. This is why the Kohen Gadol Davins, Shalotapil Isha as pre-bitna. What does it mean that a woman shouldn't miscarry? So first of all, what's interesting about this is it's repetitive because we didn't go through it, but you'll see it earlier on in the Tefillah, the Kohen Gadol Davins, that women should give birth. So obviously, if you're doubting that women should give birth and they should have healthy children, then obviously implicit in that is what? Is what? That they shouldn't miscarry. So why the need to state that again? You know how we describe Rosh Hashanah? We describe it as Hayom Haras Ha'olam. Now, we often translate it as Hayom Haras Ha'olam. Today, the world was created. But that's not actually what Haras, Hey Resh Sof, actually means. Instead, it means today, literally translated, Hara means what? Pregnant. Today, the world became Pregnant. Because you know what Rosh Hashanah is? Rosh Hashanah is a day that is pregnant with potential. And what does every single woman fear most over the course of pregnancy? Of losing that potential. See, the worst thing in life, no, the worst thing, a terrible thing in life, is when you have potential, and then that potential is gone. When there's a miscarriage of potential, the beauty of these days is the world is pregnant with potential. We, each of us, are pregnant with potential. And so what is the coin Gadol Davin? Don't let them miscarry. Because how often in life do we begin the year pregnant with potential, but then we squander the opportunity. We miscarry the opportunity. And we never bring it to full term. That's the final tefillah of the Kohen Gadol. The Kohen Gadol says about his fledgling people, if we only understood what potential there was in these days, if we only understood what potential there was in the world, and I want to tell you something, it doesn't matter what you've done, 
And it doesn't matter where you're from. And it doesn't matter, you're a Balas Tshuva, you're an FFB, you're on your way, you're not from, you are from, you're this, that. It doesn't matter what you were. The only thing that matters is what are you ready to become? That's all that matters. Because whoever you want to be, whatever you want to be, you are pregnant with that potential. Hayom harasa olam. And the Kohen Gala has one simple tefillah. Yiratsan shana shalotapil isha espri bitna. Because, you know, I think it's something amazing. When the Kohen Gadol would look out and he would see the masses, you ever wonder, like, if you looked at Klai through the Kohen Gadol's eyes, what would you see? The Kohen Gadol. The Kohen Gadol is like the Zayda of Klai Yisrael. So what does the Zayda see when he sees his inaglach, when he sees his children, grandchildren? Potential. Right? That's the great part about grandparents, right? Mm-hmm. Parents see everything, right? Grandparents only see the good stuff, right? They only see, and it doesn't matter what you do, right? I had this list to babysit for my granddaughter this past, uh, this past Friday, and I sat her down. I was giving her lunch. I did a very good job. I was giving her lebin. I was giving her lebin. She looked me straight in the eye. She spit it right out purposely, purposely, purposely. Like, oh, you're so cute. Oh, that's so beautiful. I remember, like, if one of my kids would have done that, as I, whatever. I said, because grandparents only see the beauty. They only see the good. When the coin Godel would look out at the klal, so what would he see? He would see men, women, children, pregnant with potential. And in that moment, he would utter a tefillah to the ribono shal olam, shana shalotapil isha, Pre bitna, please, Akadish Baruch, who don't let them miscarry. Please don't let them squander the year. Please don't let them miss this opportunity. Please don't let them yet uh, let another year go by without becoming the people they are truly capable of becoming. So it turns out that the tefillah of the coin Gadol gives us everything we need in order to be happy and successful in the year to come. Make a good material Gashmias plan. Remember about the power of change. Keep your optimism and hope. Be independent. Do not put your keys of your happiness in anyone else's hands. Remember the power of pure dialogue with the Ribbono Shalom. Don't wait for your personalistic house to collapse in order for you to rebuild it. But recognize that more often than not, the structure you built for yourself in some previous stage in life probably is not the right one for you now. Find the power to pivot. Find the power to evolve. Find the power to change. And lastly, let us not miscarry the beautiful potential of this coming year. These days are pregnant with potential. We are pregnant with potential. If we only understood the power of Aseris Mitzvah, you know, I've often thought that, you know, if I, were, if I were structuring the Jewish calendar, I think what I would do is I would put Yom Kippur right after Rosh Hashanah. Because I think the problem that many of us run into is we come out of Rosh Hashanah on an incredible high, and then what happens? Like, you go to work. <laughs> you go to work, right? Or, or like you... Just you, you're, you're once again re-immersed in everyday life. And I know it's a Sarah Simichuba, Sarah Simichuba, Sarah Simichuba. So it almost sometimes feels like by the time I show up on Monday night, oh, not Monday night, Wednesday, Wednesday. Wednesday night, right? Wednesday night for Kol Nidre, it almost feels like I'm starting again. 
Like I'm starting again. It's not the way it's supposed to happen. It's supposed to be a continuation. But more often than not, it doesn't happen that way. But that is our avoda to recognize that we are pregnant with potential and to decide what are we going to do with it. Because if you do not decide what you're going to do with your pregnant potential now, then more likely than not, we just simply miscarry it. It just simply goes away. It's easy come, easy go. We have to decide what we're going to do with that potential for this year, what we're going to build, how we're going to change, how we're going to evolve, and how we're going to internalize all of the messages of the Tefillah to take this Tefillah with us, to use the tenets of this prayer to inform the way we live the year to come, the way we make plans for the year to come, the way we structure our lives. We should find the Koach to rebuild, to evolve, and to change in whatever areas may be necessary. And in that schos, what we want more than anything, and there's still time, it's only Monday night. Yom Kippur's not till Wednesday night. A lot could happen in two days. The third base Hamitush could come down from Shamayim. The Mashiach could come. We could be Zoha to be standing together in the base Hamikdash. You know, you ladies, you'll have a better seat than I will because the courtyard of the base Hamikdash is the Ezras Noshim. That's the women's section. The men have to stand out on the Harabayas, right? So you'll you'll get a bet you'll get even a you'll get even a better view. Right? And we should be Zoha Hashem to see the Kohen Gadol. We should be Zoha Hashem to see him emerge radiant, Mara Kohen, from the Kodesh HaKadoshim. We should see his lips moving as he utters those tfilos on behalf of his beloved children, on behalf of Cloud Israel. We should see his hold. We should see his hadar. We should see him walking in. We should see him walking out. We should see him being our shliach before Hashem. We should be zochet to all of that this year. But if HaKadosh Baruch Hu has ordained that it's not to be this year, even if we can't see the Kohen Gadol, may we be Hashem to hear him whisper these words into our ears, into our hearts, and into our souls. And may we be Zohar Hashem to allow them to shape and inform the way we live in the year to come. I wish all of you a Gemar Chasimatova. Should be a beautiful year, a year of personal Gula, and a year of Klal Yisrael Gulam Hira Amen.